From Alaska Teen Media Institute, this is Podcast in Place, a series about youth in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm AMI producer Yuli Zhang. We've talked a lot about how the pandemic has affected our everyday lives on this podcast. We've heard stories from youth in quarantine and spoken with health professionals and business owners. But we're going to do something a bit different with this episode. We're going to take a look at how the pandemic affects youth experiencing homelessness and the programs working to provide them with an opportunity for a better life. According to the United States Interagency Council on Homelessness, as of January 2020, Alaska had 1,949 people experiencing homelessness on any given day. Of that total, 188 were unaccompanied young adults ages 18 to 24. Young people who are experiencing homelessness are just like the rest of us in that this pandemic has affected us in so many different ways um, and affected all of our mental health and, and how we you know, navigate the world and having to do hunker downs and concern about, you know, getting the virus and all these things. That's Josh Lowers. He is a senior program officer at Covenant House Alaska, a shelter for homeless, at-risk, and trafficked youth that has been operating in Alaska since 1988. Their mission is focused around five principles to help guide their work. Sanctuary, value communication, structure, choice, and immediacy. And for many youth dealing with life on the streets, immediacy is the first and foremost response needed. A young person can walk through our doors uh, 24 hours a day. They can come get basic basic service. Um, they also can head over to our navigation center where they can get a bowl of soup or they can meet with a, an outreach person or a navigator. And so we just like to provide them a safe environment here where they can kind of stabilize and be fed and be warm and have a bed to sleep in. This is Hillary Patterson. And I'm the Education and Employment Program Coordinator here at Covenant House, Alaska. Um, Sometimes the youth, when they first come to us, they just need to sleep like a lot, a lot of sleep. And so we offer them the opportunity to do that as well. The work she does represents the wide range of services Covenant House provides for youth beyond just a safe place to sleep for the night. There's an emergency shelter that houses up to 60 residents. They provide education and employment services, a youth engagement center, long-term housing programs, internships, a street outreach team, a home for pregnant or parenting young moms, and even a program devoted to preventing and intervening on human trafficking. In addition to those resources, South Central Foundation helps provide Covenant House residents with medical and mental health services. Volunteers of America, another partner organization, works with Covenant House to provide substance abuse treatment. An organization called Choosing Our Roots, like other partners, has an even more focused approach. Our mission is to ensure that all queer Alaskan youth and young adults have access to safe homes, supportive communities, and opportunities to thrive. That was Kat Banner, volunteer coordinator for the nonprofit, which focuses its efforts on LGBTQ plus youth. Unlike the residential programs of Covenant House, Choosing Our Roots connects youth to host families who are also members of the LGBTQ plus community. 
we're very intentional in our matching process. It's not just the first young person goes into the first host home. We ensure that personalities match and everyone's expectations are compatible before a host invites a participant into their home. Choosing Our Roots has placed many queer plus youth into homes across South Central Alaska. All of these services aim to provide youth with a stable environment where they can feel safe, build relationships, and choose a future for themselves. But that future becomes even more difficult to reach when you're faced with a global pandemic. I mean, at the beginning, we, we were learning quickly, like everyone, you know, as, as mandates changed in the state and in the city. As Josh Lowers of Covenant House points out, COVID-19 meant the overlap of several different challenges for youth and these programs. Not only were more people on the streets due to a tanking economy, shelters had to make some serious adjustments for the health and safety of the young people in their care. The whole city had to learn to adapt to the mandates. But as an organization that supports some of the most vulnerable people in Anchorage, Covenant House had a lot of changes to make. You know, we had to um, come up with a quarantine plan should we have a, a number of youth that have tested positive. This is Heidi Hubert, another senior program officer at Covenant House. Essentially, we have a quarantine house uh, in the city that is set up to um, support youth that are that have tested positive, whether they're symptomatic or asymptomatic, you know, it's, a, it's an option for them to be able to stay there so that they're out of the general kind of population. But we have weekly testing for all our youth and staff. We have tape and we set, you know, down, like measured, measured out six feet, like in our lunch line. And like we moved, we rearranged the furniture in our spaces and we changed our structure within our shelter so that young people can stay upstairs or downstairs to try to spread folks out. Covenant House has room for up to 60 youth to stay in their main residential program in a normal year. But with COVID, they've had to cut their number of beds down by a third. They also allow non-residents of the program to sleep at the facility, but have had to convert their gym into an overnight area so that beds could be placed far enough apart to be socially distanced. Even with those policies in place, a major challenge for Covenant House has been encouraging youth to follow new safety protocols. The thing that we didn't want to do is to make people homeless because they didn't want to wear a mask. So we did everything in our power um, to, you know, to find ways to encourage young people to do those things um, without threatening their housing um, because of it. So a lot of those decision making decisions, well, we've got the potential for COVID or you can die of hypothermia in Alaska. So what, you know, what's it gonna be? We're like weighing these options. So we can continue to normalize wearing a mask. They see the staff wearing masks every single day. They see the distancing practices. We all participate in this and we just kind of normalize that behavior. So that's what they're used to and that's what you're, they're used to seeing. On top of changing policy, creating strategies to cope with a rapidly spreading virus and increased homelessness, Covenant House has faced a barrage of financial difficulties. Testing hundreds of young people and staff every week, operating a quarantine house, 
and making sure that staff get hazard pay are very expensive. Due to gathering restrictions, they haven't been able to do their regular fundraising events. It's kind of hit us in our day-to-day operations, but also the, all the things that keep the lights on. So in some ways, it's been really, really challenging. But uh, if there's anything I can say about Covenant House, we're real good about rolling with the punches, so we figure it out. Rolling with the punches is exactly what homeless services staff need to do, especially during a pandemic. That often involves collaborating with other organizations. So, for instance, if we have a young person that shows up at the Sullivan Arena, they'll frequently give us a call and they'll say, hey, we've got a 19-year-old here, you know, your place may be more appropriate for them, and vice versa. So, in this city, like, we have to work together, and I don't think that there's anybody who's unwilling to do that, especially right now. In the spring of 2020, the Sullivan Arena and Ben Boki Ice Arena were converted into mass shelters for people experiencing homelessness under the operation of Beans Cafe and the Brother Francis Shelter. With its wide open areas, beds were able to be socially distanced while still allowing for a large number of people. Um, and kind of simultaneously, we've also greatly expanded our food services side um, to not only accommodate the 400 plus people that we are seeing at the Sullivan Arena every day, but another 250 people that have been moved from shelter to more transitional housing, but still need access to food services. This is Lisa Souder, Executive Director of Beans Cafe. So we've, we've rapidly uh, grown and expanded um, to, to meet the needs of, of those that are really suffering right now in our community. Though COVID had a big effect on operations at emergency shelter services, Choosing Our Roots was able to continue their operation without having to make major adjustments. Despite the pandemic, we have continued providing services and continued recruiting volunteers and holding online informational sessions, skill shares, events, things of that nature. So although it has greatly changed how we um, provide those services, it hasn't halted them. Coming up next, we've seen an increase in safety concerns, which has led to housing displacement or can lead to housing displacement. How the pandemic has stilted youth experiencing homelessness from moving forward. Their options for sort of getting out of here are greatly limited because of COVID. So in some ways they've had to sort of put their future on hold. Stick around. Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can create podcasts like the one you're listening to right now, conduct interviews, learn videography skills, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. We have opportunities for both in-person and remote work, and these are paid projects. So if you are between the ages of 13 and 24, living in Alaska, and interested in joining at me, go to alaskateenmedia.org join. You can also email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. During the COVID-19 pandemic, many of us have felt lonely, but that has been particularly challenging for youth experiencing homelessness. I think there's, there's a, a real deep sense of isolation that young people have felt here 
um, which which in some ways isn't different than what we've all felt. However, you know, if you're a young person, you don't have your family, you're by yourself in a shelter, you know, with 40 other young people and you don't really know them and all that sort of stuff. And you don't want to be here, but you can't, you don't really have anywhere to go either. That's sort of a, a deeply compounded version of of the loneliness and and things that that we're all feeling as we've had to hunker down and do different things. That was Josh Lowers from Covenant House, Alaska. Youth at Covenant House have reported feeling isolated and depressed during the pandemic. They faced a number of barriers to accessing mental health treatment, including delays getting medication and getting prescription refills from doctors. People who were already struggling with health, mental health issues, it has just exacerbated that. And um, we've just really seen a lot of youth be really needy and feeling really hopeless because there's nowhere for them to go. They have to do their telehealth um, appointments and they can't go in person. That's Hillary Patterson, another staff member of Covenant House. While the pandemic has created numerous added challenges to those already struggling, it has also caused some to lose their housing. You know, their, their mom, their dad, their grandparents, whoever they were staying with may have gotten sick or had to go into the hospital or something like that and, um, you know, couldn't pay the rent and they've been evicted. This is Heidi Hubert, who oversees long-term housing programs at Covenant House. I mean, you want to talk about a mental health issue, you know, that, that is devastating to lose your home because someone was ill. Not only has the pandemic had a direct impact on young people's mental health, but it has greatly reduced their opportunities for employment. Patterson says a lot of the jobs Covenant House helps their residents secure, like working in the hospitality industry or in transportation, have not been available during the pandemic. There are still opportunities out there for youth, jobs like fast food and retail positions. It's just that applying and interviewing for them has become more complicated. So obviously we've had to do a lot of virtual interviews and virtual appointments and virtual everything and that only goes so far with people who crave um, interaction. Like our youth really need like that in-person face-to-face contact with people who can be positive in their lives. So um, a lot of them are, are very leery about talking to people over video chat. As any staff at these organizations might tell you, each youth needs their own unique plan to help them out of their situation. But with everyone, the outcomes are largely the same, transitioning them into safe, stable housing. That can mean setting them up with an apartment and helping them get a job. This seems like a really simple solution to solve homelessness, right? Get them a house, get them a job, done. Well, it's more complicated than that. To get a job, you need an address. To get an apartment, you need an ID and some way of proving you are making an income, a job. But if you're living on the streets or on people's couches, Handing on to something like an ID or a birth certificate isn't as easy as you might think. When youth first arrive at Covenant House, one of the first things staff help with is obtaining any forms of identification they may need. However, during the pandemic, this has proven to be more difficult. You know, that seems to be the, the biggest thing. When state offices are closed or when, it, when increased barriers are put up in in order to get your everyday needs met. I think that's already difficult for a population that has experienced um, so much oppression due to poverty. 
for them that has been increased if the social security office is closed or if the DMV has limited hours and the only person that you can take you there is you know booked for the day so I think that those things all play a role so we try to give them that stability here and offer that opportunity for them and then once they feel safe and stable then they're more willing to work with us to, to kind of start talking about education in normal times, it's hard for youth experiencing homelessness to keep up with the pace of schoolwork. Now, add on to that the difficulties of remote learning brought on by COVID. The whole virtual thing is just, it's just hard. And, you know, it's not, it's not very equitable for those youth who are struggling and like maybe, maybe they do have a laptop, but they don't have internet access. So what good is that going to do them, you know? Or maybe their internet access is really spotty and they can't, they can't host a Zoom meeting or attend a Zoom meeting because of the internet access. While Covenant House tries to get laptops for youth to use for school, sometimes by the time the computers arrive, the youth have already moved on. And so then we have to start all over again. And if they come back and do another arrival here, then we have to start the process all over again. And so that's kind of frustrating. We have a couple of extra laptops here that we can like allow the youth to use occasionally, but we don't have just some that we can just hand out. While youth have struggled with the challenges, Hillary says some are doing well. A lot of them have chosen to just continue to do it virtually um, because it's working for them and they, they know what to expect and they know, you know how to do it. Oftentimes, school can be a place where youth can get food, access computers, find a social network with other students, go to the nurse, or even use the bathroom. Covenant House's Heather Hagelberger says school can be a place of safety for youth experiencing homelessness. So school switching to virtual learning has taken away that added resource. But the other component of it was that they were staying in unsafe locations um, because there was no place else to go um, without school being there um, to have watchful eyes. Uh, things continue to happen that maybe would have been able to be um, intervened in at an earlier point in time. And with the safety net of school gone, it's put many youth living in unstable environments in dangerous situations. Situations that make them more vulnerable to being taken advantage of. Up next, how the pandemic has made youth experiencing homelessness more vulnerable to human trafficking. We'll be right back. If you or someone you know is experiencing homelessness or living in an unstable environment, you can call Covenant House Alaska at 907-272-1255. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community seeking more specialized resources, you can contact Choosing Our Roots at 907-764-6233. Regardless of your housing situation, if you are struggling with your mental health and need someone to speak to, the Alaska Care Line has trained professionals to listen at any time. They can be reached at 877-266-4357 in the episode description, there are links to websites, additional contact information, and other resources available to you.
This next section contains discussions of human trafficking. As you've heard throughout this episode, the pandemic has disproportionately affected at-risk youth, making it more difficult for them to get jobs, find housing, and attend school. But there is another problem that has been worsened by the pandemic, human trafficking. According to a 2016 study by Loyola University that looked at 10 Covenant House locations throughout the U.S. and Canada, Anchorage has the highest reported prevalence of human trafficking per capita. This came as a surprise to Heather Hagelberger. And it was mind-blowing. She is the program coordinator for Covenant House's Street Outreach Program. The researchers shared also that a lot of the stories that they would hear um, from the victims as they were doing their research were some of the most devastating ones, the ones that had the most significant um, trauma that was uh, involved in those situations. And so it really helped us to see that this was something that we absolutely needed to, to get on and really put a focus towards. After realizing the scope of the issue, Covenant House Alaska formed the Anchor Team, a program specifically aimed at preventing and intervening on human trafficking. It has two components to it. First among the team are navigators, who work with vulnerable or identified victims of trafficking and connect them to specialized resources. When a youth comes to Covenant House, staff will ask them four questions to screen for whether that person is a potential victim of human trafficking or at risk of being human trafficked. The screening tool, called Quick Youth Indicators for Trafficking, was implemented in 2020 and has produced shocking results. We have already identified 30 youth who need our services. Um, And so that shows us the prevalence is increasing, not decreasing. If a youth is identified as someone who could potentially be vulnerable or victim to trafficking, the anchor team gets a referral. From there, one of their navigators will connect with the youth within 24 hours. We're really fortunate to have a cafe here on site. Um, So we'll just buy a specialty coffee or a Red Bull smoothie or whatever it is that they would like and just go sit and talk um, and see what it is that they need. Um, Because traffickers target individuals based on need. Um, And so we want to make sure that we can pull that um, tactic out of their toolbox by meeting those needs as best as we can. Um, And then we start the process of building that relationship and um, connecting them to services that they choose um, and move forward from there. That's the second component to the anchor team, building relationships. Human trafficking has been sensationalized through social media, television, and movies, but it's actually very different from how it is often portrayed. Many people immediately think of um, people being brought from one country to another and forced to do work um, or um, forced to have sex um, against their will. And that is a component of it, but that's not the only portion of trafficking. We really try to get away from like pimp or prostitute, um, especially pimp, because uh, that is glorified in music and in media. um, And that's just not what um, these people look like. And that's not the culture that we are seeing, especially here in Alaska. Another misconception about human trafficking is how it happens and who it happens to. The likelihood of someone following you in a store to try to kidnap you or somebody that you are with in order to traffic you is like, like in the like point percentages, like, right? It's like 
it's it's not something that happens. That's too much work for a trafficker. Um, they don't want they want somebody who's going to be compliant. Um, and so a lot of that comes from this lover boy mentality, where it's a relationship built based on need. What is your need? How can I fulfill that for you? Whether it's um, telling you that you are pretty and you are important and you are special, um, or it's giving you things that you need, like that's what they're going to look for. In Alaska, trafficking happens predominantly by somebody that the victim knows, whether that is a family or community member. And a lot of people, when they try to run away from those situations and find themselves with somebody else who's trafficking them here, the mentality is, well, at least some my enter the person, whether it's grandfather or aunt or whatever, who's forcing me to do this now. Many think that trafficking mainly happens to young girls. However, that's not always the case. We have a significant amount of youth who are um, male or LGBTQ. They are trafficked at disproportionate rates and they are reported less because they're not believed as much. Many people don't believe that a male can be trafficked or raped because um, of the the biology of it. Uh, But unfortunately, your body can react to things uh, even if you don't want to. There are very specific conditions that have to be met for someone over the age of 18 to be considered a victim of human trafficking under federal statute. There needs to be proof of force, fraud, or coercion. An example would be someone seeing an ad on... Instagram and it's for modeling jobs or someone slides up into their DMs and says, hey, you know, I heard you singing and I can get you record deals like let's start talking and let's make this happen. And then they show up to that and that's not what's happening. And so that's evidence of fraud. And then from there, they could be forced into doing something, whether it's labor or sex. For those under 18, the legal requirements are much less. If a youth informs staff that they are engaging in commercial sex work, staff are mandated under state law to report it. The anchor team has a close working relationship with the FBI and law enforcement to help at the legal level. It's really neat when they sit there and talk to law enforcement and they will tell them, we don't care what you have been involved in that might be criminal activity. That's not what's important here. You're not here to get in trouble. Tell us how we can help you. And I think it's taking that approach that has made such a significant difference on how our youth are able to engage with the law enforcement. With a minor, we have to report things. With an adult, we don't. And so we always want to give the adults the opportunity to to make that decision. Um, and to help them be empowered to do so, to take back that power that was taken from them by their trafficker. Um, With our minors, even though we have to report that, we always let them know that that's what we have to do, and we ask them to be part of those conversations. Many times they will be because they know that we're in their corner, and it's not something that um, they're going to get in trouble for. Getting out of a trafficking situation can be very difficult. Some states have safe harbor laws that drop criminal charges that survivors have received due to being trafficked. Right now, Alaska is not one of them. They have incredible barriers to employment and to housing. 
And so that's something that we're regularly working on, um, talking with um, community leaders and, um, and with even different uh, organizations that could potentially help to assist not only removing those barriers um, just systemically, but also just for the individual at, you know, and as we find that people are willing to work with us as an organization, they're willing to overlook a lot of those barriers, thankfully. One of the ways that traffickers really maintain control over an individual is by taking away their community and choice. And so it's so important for us that we connect a youth back to their community, what, whoever that is, whatever that looks like for them, um, and then give them choice. Youth choice is one of our five principles. We believe that a youth in their situation knows best what they need. Um, we are here to guide and direct um, as they make those choices on how to obtain that goal. Many of the interviews you heard in this episode were conducted in the spring of 2021, before vaccines were widely available, before the Delta variant and breakthrough cases. The contract with Beans Cafe for using the Sullivan Arena as a mass shelter expired in September. A local for-profit organization called 99plus1 has taken over management of the facility after winning a bidding process with the city. In June, Covenant House began construction on a new building that will be the site for a program called Bridge to Success. It will be a three-story apartment complex that will give Covenant House residents the opportunity to transition from shelter life to living on their own. It is expected to open in late 2022. But in the meantime, the pandemic rages on, disproportionately affecting youth experiencing homelessness. You know, I think that everybody needs to understand that no one sets out in their life with the goal of being homeless. If you're interested in helping out with these organizations, there are a lot of ways to do so. In the episode description, we have shared links, phone numbers, email addresses, and more ways to help. I would recommend someone who knows nothing about homelessness but is interested in, in getting involved to do two things. To first, find a place that they can just start to volunteer so that they can you know, sort of begin to understand and rub elbows with people who are experiencing hard things. And then the second, to, to just get educated, to, to, to learn about homelessness, to learn about what leads to homelessness. And the only way that you, you find that out is by engaging or getting engaged and getting educated. I just keep talking about it. Um, people don't like to talk about hard topics. Um, they're very uncomfortable. Um, but you know what, if you don't ask questions, um, or you don't shed light on things in the darkness that are scary, you don't know what's actually there. Coming up in one of our next episodes, you'll hear from some of the youth who've been displaced and gone through the programs we've talked about today.
You've been listening to Podcast in Place. Thanks for listening to this special episode of our podcast. Special thanks to all of our guests, including Heidi Hubert, Josh Lowers, Lisa Souter, Hillary Patterson, Heather Hagelberger, and Kat Banner. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengost, with additional music by Tyler Felsen. Interviews were conducted by Quinn White, Daisy Carter, Danielle Duclos, and Cornelius Nelson. The show was written by Chloe Chobel, Sam Burnitz, Danielle Duclos, Yuli Zong, and Daisy Carter. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org, where we have included resources for youth during quarantine in partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people, whose land we work on. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including Rosie Robards and Nat Herz. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of our sponsors. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like ATME. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateenmedia. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our series on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And don't forget to check out our website, alaskateenmedia.org. There you can learn more about what our organization does, discover more youth-produced content, and find out how to get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Yuli Zong. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.